So if you go with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, we're going to continue in our series on loving God. It's going to be part two. I'm just going to read from verse 4. Actually, we'll read from verse 4 and 5. I started last week with uh, chapter 6, 4 through 9. Stand with me for the reading of the word. So Jesus called this the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And Heavenly Father, we just bow our hearts before you, Lord God. We ask you for help. Lord, we ask for your spirit. Lord God, we ask tonight that you would move, Lord God, in our hearts, compelling us through your great love and what you did for us on the cross, what you did to us, Lord God, and to us and for us through the resurrection. Your mercy, your grace, Lord God, your forgiveness. May we be moved tonight to a greater level of love for you. For Lord God, we know this is what you desire. This is what you call us to. And may you be glorified here tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, the greatest commandment I'll read to you. Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 40. Repeated in uh, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus said to him, You shall love uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Uh, The word for love, again, I'm going to take you through a quick review of what we did last week. Agape, selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. It is the highest of the four loves that are mentioned in Scripture. We talked about that. And it is probably the greatest challenge that we will face in life. It's uh, difficult. It can be overwhelming. Uh, It is a high calling. It's a tall order. And um, God calls us to it. Now, as we talked about last week and we laid down some of the principles in Scripture about how we can love God, and one of the greatest things we can do is just ask God for help because we need His help to love Him. Uh, We need His help to love our neighbor. A second is to rely upon the Holy Spirit who is called our helper and He is always there to help us. He is always there to work in our lives and influence us. When we are filled with the Spirit and we're under the Spirit's influence, that's where we're going to be the most effective in being able to, uh, to love Jesus. The third thing we talked about, to love God, we must first experience His love. And that is really an ongoing thing. We need to be continuously experiencing the flow of God's love and His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness into our life. Uh, as the Scripture says, we love Him because He first loved us. A person who has not experienced that unconditional sacrificial love of Jesus is not going to be able to love God. So it all begins with with us experiencing His love. And then we talked about uh, the cross. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I am determined to know nothing uh, among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So as we come to know Him as our crucified Savior, I said it's, it's really good to take some time and meditate on the cross. Meditate on what He did for you. Meditate his, his six hours on the cross that Friday and his suffering for you. And the nails that went into his hands and the nail that went into his feet that were meant for us. When he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was saying he was forsaken from the Father for us so that we would never have to be forsaken. So he took all of our pain upon himself and that's, that's key. So I want to share, I'm going to share a few more things with you tonight. The next thing I want to share with you 
is privilege of adoption. When, when a person receives Jesus Christ into their life, they repent of their sins, they put their faith in Jesus, there essentially are, are three things, and I'll, I'll give you three doctrinal things that God works in our lives. They're experiential, they're doctrinal, okay, they're theological. And if you go through the book of Romans, you see these very clearly. So Romans chapters uh, 1 through 2 deals with our sin. Chapter 1 deals with the sin of the Gentiles, and then chapter 2 deals with the sins of the Jews. Then you come to chapter 3, uh, 4, and 5. That, and those chapters deal with what is called justification. Justification is when we put our faith in Jesus, we are justified and declared innocent as though we had never sinned. Just as the judge again puts down his gavel and he says, innocent. That person is innocent, can never be tried again okay, for that specific crime. But we have been justified. Legal, legal term. Legal, you know, it's, it's, it's a legal concept. In chapter 6 and, uh, and 7, and really somewhat in 8, he deals uh, with us with regeneration, the new birth. So when a person believes in Jesus, their spirit, which was dead, is given life, and the person comes to life. They suddenly have spiritual life. They begin to connect with God, commune with God, get in tune with God. They begin to uh, be able to experience the love of God, and they are, uh, begin to love God. And they really enter into the relationship. The person who is not regenerated, the person who is not born again, they could be very religious, but they do not have that relationship with God. They haven't experienced the new birth. They haven't been born of the Spirit or born from above. In chapter 8, the third, the third key concept is adoption. So you have justification, you have regeneration, you have adoption. I'll tell you, just theologians will even go and talk about sanctification in chapter 8, and that's, that's true, that we have been set apart okay, uh, to the Lord and for his work. Uh, holiness begins in us. But adoption, and adoption is what I want to I talk to you about here Tell you a story about adoption that touched my heart. In England, this is quite a few years ago, there was a, a man, he was, he was a, uh, married to a woman, they did not have any children, they weren't able to have children, and there was this young boy who lived next door, and the man had built this, this wonderful relationship with this young kid, he was eight years old, and um, they had this rich relationship, he would take him fishing, um, he would take him to church, uh, he would pray with him. Uh, he taught him his, his trade, his carpentry trade. And there was a fire in the house of the boy. And the fire was raging, and the fire killed his mother and father. The boy was up in the window of his room, and the flames were moving up to the house towards him. This man, he ended up climbing up a pipe on the side of the house, climbed up, put the boy on his shoulders, and then climbed back down. His hands, his hands were, were brutally burned from the heating of the pipe. Now, the boy would be handed over, and essentially, legally in the courts of England, he would have been then adopted by his uncle. And his uncle was a very wealthy man who really didn't have a lot of time for the boy and never spent any time with the boy while, you know, while the boy was growing up. And this man that saved the boy's life went and he wanted to adopt the boy. In the courtroom, the, uh, the uncle stood up. The judge asked him, you know, what can you give to this boy? And he said, I, I am very wealthy. He goes, I can give him a really nice room to stay in. I can give him a great education. I can send him to the best schools. 
Um, that's what I can give him, though I'm very busy and I travel all over the world and I'm not going to have a lot of time to spend with him. Then the, the neighbor was asked by the judge, what can you give this boy? You know, how can you show your love for him? And what he did was he lifted up his hands. He ended up getting the boy. He was able to adopt the boy. Adoption. Have you taken a moment to look at the hands of the Savior? Because those hands are marked for eternity. The marks are there for eternity. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he still had the marks in his hand and in his side. Remember Thomas? I won't believe until I stick my finger in it. <laughs> Jesus stood before him and he said, hey, look. They're, they're the marks of his love for us. And they are the marks of an incredible price that he paid to adopt us into his family. The person, the person who is outside of Christ is not a child of God. The person who is in Christ is the one who is a child of God. The New Testament makes that very clear. When people say, well, everybody's God's children. Not, not according to Jesus, not according to the, you know, the Bible. So Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And that, that adoption brings us into a very rich, rich relationship with the Father, Abba, that's again the word for daddy. Who calls you daddy if you're, you know, if you're a dad? Your children, okay? My children call me dad. And that's, again, a very intimate and uh, deeply, you know, relational, okay, um, word that they're using uh, for me. It's a word of, of tremendous intimacy. It goes on and says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And the adopted child of God who has the Holy Spirit within them, the Spirit is going to be confirming to you that you belong to the Lord, that you're his child, that you're saved, that you have been forgiven, that you have been justified. That you've been regenerated. You know, so we say this all the time. When I pray with somebody, when I lead someone to Christ and they repent, and I always talk about repentance. You need to repent. You need to, you need to have a, sorry, a sorrow in your heart for your sins. You know, just, you, you, need to, you, you, know, you need to have a grief for your sins. Put him on the cross. And you need to you know, have a willingness to you know, confess to him that, hey, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I need grace. I, you know, I need mercy. And then we turn to him in faith, putting our faith in him and believing in him as our Lord and as our Savior. Now when a person has, has truly done that, they will have this witness within them of the Spirit. So when I'm doing that with someone, I'm not saying, well, you prayed the prayer and you're saved. That's, the, that, that's setting that person up for a fall. If they, were not, if they were not sincere praying that from their heart to repent and believe in Jesus, they are not born again. And maybe they're walking away thinking, hey, you know, I'm saved. I think churches are filled with people like that. They have never truly been born again. So when that happens, again, the Spirit bears witness with us that we are children of God. The Spirit will confirm your salvation to you. Every day the Spirit of God confirms the salvation that He has given to me. Every day He confirms, I belong to Him. Even when I'm falling short, 
And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. One day again to be glorified, but we are heirs. What does it mean to be an heir? Right, A child of God with the witness of the Spirit in our hearts and heirs of God. You know what that, that, that spells? Privilege. The adopted child of God is privileged. There's a lot of a lot of stuff right in the in the realm right now in the media and the political realm. The college is about privilege, right? They talk about you know white privilege and they talk about man privilege and there's all these things. Well, let me tell you something. I'm white and I'm a man and I am privileged, man. I just want you to know that I am I am highly privileged. I am I am I am a privileged child of God. And I don't care what color you are or nationality you are. If you are a child of God, you are truly privileged. Now, I'm afraid to stand up and say that to people. I am as, as children of God, you can start looking at all the privileges we have. But as children of God, we are privileged to receive his love every day, every way. You know, I love my children, I love my grandchildren with a very unique love that I don't show for other people. There's no, no, no question about it. You, 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 this, you have this special love in your heart. And we look, we're, we're to love all people, okay? But there is a special affection and a love that you have for your children and your grandchildren. And as his children, we have the privilege to receive that love every day in every way. And let me say this to you. We need it. Every human being needs it. If you, if you do not have that love of God flowing into your life every day in every way, I want to tell you something. You're dying. You're, di you're dying a slow death. A slow death. During World War II in the Pacific, Philippines, Okinawa, uh, some of the other islands, as the war was going on, Many of the islanders, the parents, were killed. And there were all these little babies, these orphans, left without mothers and fathers. So they had the doctors there, and they were giving them the very best care. They were giving them the medicine. They were giving them the food. They were giving them the formula. And the kids were dying. Do you know what the, the solution was to that? They brought all of these nurses from the United States, all these young girls. And all they did was just hold the babies, coddle the babies, love the babies. And all those babies got well, and they survived from love. We, we have a need for love. And if, if, we're not, if we're not getting love, that love that comes from the Father, I'll tell you what people will do. They will go looking to gratify that in some really ugly places. Really ugly places. I think that's, that's key. Another privilege that we have as his adopted children, we have the privilege of his guidance. But don't children need guidance? Like, do your three kids, your three beautiful daughters need guidance, right? Could you imagine if you're not guiding them in this world, what, you know, where they would go, what they would be led into? 
the craziness and the deception that's out there. But we, we need God. I need guidance. I need the Lord to guide me. And that is, again, that is a privilege that he gives to us. He guides us. He guides us in our choices. He guides us in our, in our decisions. If we'll take the time, especially the big decisions. You know, when you go, when you go to um, Baskin Robbins and you don't know, you know, you want vanilla or tutti frutti, I'm not talking, the way you, you know, some Christians, I'm going I'm, I'm to have a prayer meeting about whether I should have, um, some of you need to pray whether you should have ice cream at all. Okay, I'll just, I'll just say that. Some of you should do that. But, but when you have those important decisions, people just rush into things. Stop. Seek him because he's there. He loves you. He wants to guide you. And I'll tell you, he, he, he will guide you to higher ground. He will guide you to, to better places. He guides us. How does that psalm go? What is that psalm where it says, green pastures and still waters? What is that? Is that Psalm 29? 27. I'm goofing with you. Another, another key thing, as an adopted child, we have the privilege of his encouragement and his strength flowing into our life every day. Just that is a, a privilege to just get with him and let him strengthen you. Let him put his courage. There's see a lot of fear, a lot of fear right now. In the world, a lot of fear in the church, and he gives us—he gives us again that courage. Another key thing, as a privileged child, you have him as your teacher. He teaches us. And I said, this, make this transition when you come here on a Wednesday or on a Sunday or a Bible study. Are you coming to be taught by Jesus? Or are you coming to be taught by a preacher, a teacher, to sit at his feet, to open your heart, and to have him teach you through his word? It's so important to have your Bibles with you. Have your Bibles open. You know, take notes on his word. Because if not, what you're going to do is hear, you're just going to hear words. Instead of really hearing his word speaking into your life. Same thing goes when you're reading the Word in the morning. I mean, I sit, I sit at Jesus' feet every day. I don't miss. I, I don't even know if I, you know, if I've missed in 42 years. I just sit at His feet every morning, and I read through the Scriptures and I meditate on them, five or six chapters, and the Lord speaks into my heart. It always gives me a great word. And then uh, let me give you a, a, another privilege that we have: the privilege of His comfort. The privilege of, of adoption is that we have the privilege of his comfort, and don't we all need comfort at times, right? Even the toughest, right? Even the hardest. You, there's times we need the comfort of the comforter. So that's just some. And there, there are, you know, we can go through so many other privileges. You know, really, as you go through the Bible, what you really see over and over again is the privileges of what it is to be a child of God. You can get that all the way from Genesis right to the book of the Revelation. Okay, another, another way I think that we can really increase our love for God, I'm going to use this term, equal measure of forgiveness to love. There is an equal measure of the realization of what we have been forgiven in, you know, and forgiven of. 
and our love for Jesus. And think about, you know, where that comes from and what Jesus said about, remember the sinful woman? So he says she was a sinful woman, so people say she was a prostitute. We don't know that she was a prostitute. We really, we really don't. Uh, she could have been a loan shark. She could have been a hitman. Uh, who knows, right, what, what she was. But the sinful woman, Jesus at, is at Simon the Pharisee's house. He's with the apostles, and there are a bunch of Pharisees there. And this woman comes bursting through. She fought through the crowd. And she fell at Jesus' feet, and she began to weep on his feet, and then she began to wipe his feet with her hair and anoint his feet with, it was probably a spikenard, an expensive perfume, and rub her, it, you know, the dirt from his uh, feet, again, with her hair. And um, the Pharisee, Simon, and the other Pharisee, seeing what, you know, if he knew what kind of woman this was, he would not be allowing her to do that. And... Um, you know, Jesus then, he, he says this, and let me, let me have you look at this. In Luke chapter 7, 41 through 48, so there was a certain creditor, he says, who had two debtors, one owed five to hundred denarii and the other fifty, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them uh, will love him more? I just want to say this. We all owe him 500 denarii. Okay, let me just, let me just say that. that you know, you, you get some people, well, geez, you know, I'm just, I wasn't such a bad, you know, my wife said, I had a lot more sin and I have a lot more sin that I've, that I've done than, than Sue has. Sue was, you know, Sue was a, um, uh, she grew up in, you know, a Catholic girl, turned away from the Lord, got into the world for a while, met me, we lived in the world together, and then we gave our life to Christ. Okay, we get born again. But, um, you know, she has far less sin. She had far less sin. I'll just... But she still had 500 denarii. <laughs> so people are like, oh, I wasn't so, I'm not so bad. I wasn't so bad. I didn't, I didn't do... We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, uh, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with uh, the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Look at verse 47. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. So you look at, there is a connection of the realization of what you have been forgiven of and the way you're going to love the Lord. And people who, like Simon, who... Um, Basically, he's filled with self-righteousness. He didn't have any love for Jesus because he didn't have any realization of how great his sin was and what he was forgiven or what he could have been forgiven of. So I, wanna, I want you to look at this. If you look at the, therm the thermometer on the right, that is a picture of someone's heart who does not realize what Jesus has done for them. 
They are self-righteous. They think they're worthy. They're likely very religious, even though they may not even be involved in a religion. Uh, because there is a direct level of, again, realization of what um, they have been, been uh, forgiven of. And to them, they have been forgiven of nothing. Now, you just meet people like that all the time. And then on the left, the thermometer on the left is a person who has realized that they have been forgiven much. That there is a huge price that was paid for their forgiveness. And again, their love is exploding. And that is a picture of the sinful woman. That's the picture of, of the Apostle John. I am the one that Jesus loves. I am the one that Jesus loved. I am the one that Jesus loves. That's the picture of Mary Magdalene. You know, what, what's the difference between those three and the other, uh, you know, apostles or disciples? They just realized more of what they were forgiven of. And they just had more love for Jesus. So I want to give you something. I shared this with you. I use the, the ACTS, A-C-T-S program every morning. And that is my pattern of prayer. And I write out my prayers every morning. Uh, A stands for adoration. I always write out, a, I write out a, literally a psalm to the Lord every morning. C is confession, T is thanksgiving, S, supplication. During my time of thanksgiving, I just take time every day to be thankful for all that God has given to me, all that he has done for me. So it's, it's always, you know, I'm thanking the Father for giving me the Son, Jesus. I'm thanking the Son for giving me the Holy Spirit. I thank the Lord for His blood. I thank the Lord for the cross. I thank the Lord for the three nails. I thank the Lord for the six hours that Friday. I thank the Lord that He took my hell upon Himself so that I don't have to suffer hell. I thank the Lord for His grace. Grace is everything good in my life that has come from God. Because if there was not grace, folks, I'm not here. I'm in hell. And mercy is everything God has not given to me that I deserve because of my sin. And he's held it back. But I just take time. And every day I take time to thank the Lord for those things. And I want to tell you something. It never gets dry. It really doesn't. It never gets boring. It, it, it never, it's never become routine. And I go to it. There, there are other things I thank the Lord for. But just thanking him for what he's done for me and just remembering how great, how great is his forgiveness. Right, Psalm 103, verse 3, and I, I say this each morning. He has forgiven me of all my sins and healed me of all my sicknesses. And that just has caused a, a, a beautiful welling up of, of love for him. Okay, next. Pursue love. So in, in, in 1 Corinthians, I'm going to read to you first 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 27 to 31, and 1 Corinthians 14, 1. It says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And then in verse 31 he says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you uh, a more excellent way. Then you go to chapter 14, and 
it begins with pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So earnestly desire the best gifts and pursue love. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to seek the Lord for spiritual gifts. You know, the gifts that are mentioned here, the gifts that are mentioned throughout 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts that are mentioned in Romans chapter 12, uh, gifts mentioned in, in other various places in the scripture. It's not wrong to seek those things. Those are gifts that, that God will give you for your fulfillment and for the fulfillment and the building of the body of Christ. Everybody has been given gifts. Everybody has been given spiritual gifts. I'm using one of my spiritual gifts here right now with you. Uh, preaching and teaching, that prophecy and, and you know the teaching and the explaining of the word. But what is in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14? 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> First Corinthians, what, what is 1 Corinthians 13? Yeah, it's it's the great love chapter, right? Pursue love. I need to love God better. I need to love him better. I need to love him more. I fall short. Even tonight, I had a busy day. I was supposed to get up to the hospitals earlier in the day. And I had dinner. and It was around 5.30. And I knew... And I committed myself to getting up to the hospitals. I didn't want to go. I just want to hang out for a little while at home. Close my eyes for 15 minutes. And, um, and I know God wanted me to go. And I had made that commitment. I've read flags when I make a commitment. And I'm not, I went. I went. But there, you know, just, and this was my love for God and my love for the people that are up there. I do love them. I didn't have enough love, though. That was really like just got me up to go. I need to love you better. I need to love you more. Just look at, at just from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 7. The worthwhile passage to, to memorize. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not uh, dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Right? Love never fails. I need to love better. I need to love more. Pursue it. Pursue, pursue love. Uh, another key. Seek the giver, not just the gifts. When I see people, they will seek spiritual gifts, but they're not seeking the one who actually is the giver. They will seek healing. I see this all the time here. People come to the church and they're ill. Somebody, a friend, a family member, they bring them here. Now they're, they're seeking the healing, but they're not seeking the healer. Seeking to know him, to have a relationship with him. They're just seeking something. They seek a blessing instead of the blesser. They seek holiness instead of the holy one. 
And they will seek love, but not seek the lover. So I'm going to show you a, a, a little picture in Acts chapter 18. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 8, verse 18 to 23. There's this, this story of, remember Simon the sorcerer? As the gospel is, is permeating through uh, Samaria. And he says, and when Simon saw that uh, through the laying on of uh, the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you. You know what he said to him? He said, let your money and you go to hell. And uh, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money... You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of, this, uh, of your wickedness and pray. And God, perhaps uh, the thought of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by inequity. And there's a picture of a person who is seeking, they're seeking the gift, and they're not seeking the giver. And that is, that is, a, dangerous, that is a dangerous place to be. Seek the giver. Seek the relationship with Jesus. And as you're, you're pursuing that relationship with him and you're knowing him and you're communing with him, you're communicating with him, you're hearing in your heart, you're hearing from his word, and God will guide you in those things that, you know, that you're going to be seeking him for, whether it's, you know, spiritual gifts, whatever. But seek the lover, not the love, because then you're just doing it in your own power and it's not flowing from him into your life. Now, I'll give you a, a, a final word on, on loving God. And I want to just take you. After the resurrection, right, Peter, he denied the Lord three times. And uh, a few weeks after the resurrection, they were fishing up at the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is on the shore. He calls them to shore. Remember, he told them, cast your nets on the right side of the boat because um, they weren't, and they caught a whole lot of fish. How many fish did they catch that day? 153 fish. And um, he gets alone, right? They're, it's breakfast with Jesus, and I do encourage you, have breakfast with Jesus every day. You may not be eating. I have a cup of coffee when I'm having breakfast with Jesus, but that is my m most treasured part of my day, is having breakfast with Jesus, just spending time with him reading his word and praying and talking to him and just sitting with him, sometimes just beholding him and just hanging out. It is a wonderful time. But Jesus pulls Peter aside and they get alone and Peter becomes honest and transparent with Jesus. So I want to show you, you know the conversation from John chapter 21. And I think a lot of times, right, Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And then, you know, he says to him, now, you know, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. So people look at it and say, well, okay, three denials, so you have three words of restoration. And that sounds real good, but you're, you're not getting the, the, the whole gist of the conversation because when you read it in the Greek or the Aramaic, it's, it's saying something far more. Now, let me show you this. So, in verse 15, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he uses the word agape. Do you love me with that unconditional, sacrificial love? More than these. 
the apostles, maybe, maybe the fishing life, the Galilee. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love, and the word he uses is phileo, brotherly love. Remember, you have, you have agape, and phileo is a lesser love. It's a love, you know, for your, for your friends. And uh, he says, I, uh, I phileo you, and he said to him, feed my lambs. And then he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love uh, agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? What did Jesus just do? Yeah, he just, that's exactly right, Gloria. He just lowered the level of love to where Peter was. Not, not such a bad thing. But he, come, he comes to the place where Peter is. And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you phileo me? Not just that he said it a third time, but that he used the word phileo. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Being perfectly honest. And Jesus said, Jesus said to him, feed uh, my sheep. Peter thought, before he denied the Lord three times, that he agaped Jesus. He was absolutely certain that he loved Jesus with, with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength. He said, I will never deny you. I will never desert you. If all these other guys do it, I will never do it. I will even go and die with you. A bit of an overconfidence problem. And he's not being honest with himself. He's, he's, not, he's not being transparent. He thought that he had agape love. He didn't. Remember, um, we talk about, we're talking about the four levels of learning. And you have um, unconscious incompetence. That's where Peter it was before before breakfast with Jesus. He's unconsciously incompetent. He he thinks he's got it all together. He thinks that he's he's much bigger, that he's much stronger, that he's much better than he is. Well, he denies the Lord three times. Now he he gets knocked down, and suddenly he realizes, hey, I never had agape love. I just had phileo love. So at least he's good. Now he's coming to what, what we call conscious incompetence. He's aware of his incompetence. That's a good place. That's where growth can begin. When you are transparent and you're honest with God, instead of playing the game that you're far holier than you are, or more obedient than you are, or more loving than you are, when we're honest with God and we can say, Lord, I've got some issues. Right? I've got holes. Right? I'm very holy. Right? I've got holes all through me. But that's the, that's the beauty. And you know what? He is always welcoming of that. He was not condemning of Peter here. He didn't chastise Peter here. He didn't rebuke Peter here. I can guarantee he had a smile on his face and saying, you know what? Now you come to the right place because now I can really work on you. What happens to Peter? Acts, right? The Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. Peter's right with the 120. He gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. What does he do next? 
He stands in front of the crowd of these people from right. They've all they've come to Jerusalem from all over the the world. And what does he do? Peter preaches a message, bold message, articulate message. And what happens? Three thousand people accept Christ that day. The church has suddenly grown to three thousand one hundred and twenty people. What happens the next the next chapter, chapter three? There, him and John are going up to pray. They heal a guy. Creates a huge stir, right? They've healed this guy in the name of Jesus. Uh, they're brought before the Sanhedrin. They're told, they're told, you are not to teach about Jesus. You're not to mention his name. What does Peter say? How can we but help to do that? And who should we obey? You or God? He denied the Lord with a young girl. The young girl in the courtyard, probably a 14-year-old kid. He denied, now he's standing before the Sanhedrin with the temple guard there with him, and he is as bold as a lion. They beat him in the next chapter, chapter 4. What does he do with, with John when they come out of there after they get the scourging? They're rejoicing. Why? Because they have been found worthy to suffer for their Lord. Acts chapter 12. He's put in prison. Herod had big James killed, right? You, have, you know when they say James the less? You know, it wasn't that he was less, it's just that he was smaller. James, the brother of John, one of the sons of thunder, he was taller. That's, that's what's going on there. It wasn't like, how would you be like to be known as you know, Frank the less, right? <laughs> so, he's put in jail, they killed James the day before, and Peter's next to be killed. They're going to bring Peter out, they're going to kill him. And he's, and he's chained between, you know, these, these guards, especially four guards. What is he doing? He's on death row. They're going to be put to death the next morning. And he's sleeping. He's sleeping. Do you think, do you think he's now come to that place of, of love for God? Now, Jesus' words to Peter when he had breakfast with him, was that one day you're going to be taken and you know, you've, you've gone where you wanted, you've done what you wanted, but there's a day when you're going to be taken against your will, you're going to be tied up, and you're going to be taken. And I believe that is a reference to Peter's death. Peter would go to Rome, following in Paul's footsteps, Peter would be arrested, uh, and then Peter was crucified. Peter chose to be crucified upside down instead of right side up, because he did not feel worthy to be crucified like his Lord. I'm going to end with this reading from Romans. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Love him more. Let him help you. Love him more. Be filled with the Spirit. Love him more. Live as his child. Love him more. 
every day. That's the greatest thing you can do for God. Amen? Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you for this great calling, Lord God, and it is a great calling. It is a great challenge. We thank you, Lord God, that, Lord, you give us the help. You give us your spirit. Lord God, you give us inspiration. You give us your word to love you, Lord God, and to increase in our love for you, Lord God, as we go through this life and travel on this journey. I just pray that for all, Lord God, that we would love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and that it would bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.